You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko. He's your host, James Rapine, the host of the only five times a week Cincinnati Bengals podcast. We've got you covered from the day of the game through Friday with a post-game show all the way to a game preview tomorrow. For those of you that are new to the show, we're joined by Bengals Sands, Mike Santagata for our weekly film takeaways segment. And then on Wednesday, Thursday, we've got our crossover episode. So a lot going on this week as the Bengals prepare to take on the Ravens. But before we shift gears and start thinking about the Ravens, James, and after our viewers on YouTube click that subscribe button, we're going to take one last little moment before the All-22 takeaways tomorrow to reflect on the Detroit game and some of the takeaways we've got coming out of the Bengals' most thorough victory of the season. Then we're going to talk about some roster battles later on in the show, and I've got some stats that we can look at that I found to be pretty interesting as we're six games into the season. But, James, let's start with those takeaways, and I'm going to go straight to you. Coming out of this game, what are the biggest takeaways you've got for the 4-2 and two Bengals? It's, it's crazy because... It's a crappy Lions team. It's a bad offense. It's Jared Goff and people talking about, is he going to be benched or not? And awful receivers where, honestly, I feel like I'm one built bar away from making the Detroit Lions, at least the practice squad, baby, as a slot receiver. But this isn't a, a podcast about me and my crazy confidence. It's uh, it, it's about the Bengals. And I, I think that the fact that they've been so damn consistent on defense, six straight weeks, it, it's it's insane to think about. That, that they're where they are. I still think they need another edge rusher before the deadline if they can get one. I think they know they need another edge rusher. And I can say all of these things, and yet it's still going to be the same narrative that they got to go prove it this week against Lamar Jackson, a guy that's torched them. But yeah, I think the Bengals are making me a believer. that This defense is making me a believer and I was really skeptical, even a week, two weeks, three weeks ago, but they just continued to do enough to keep the Bengals either in the game or put them in position to win the game, or like they did on Sunday, they were just so damn dominant that 7 nothing felt like it wasn't even a one-possession game. It felt like a three-possession game in the first half, even though the Bengals' offense was struggling. The first half when, as we discussed on yesterday's postgame show, the Lions averaged one8 yards per play now worth noting the Bengals haven't gone against any of the crazy good offenses in the NFL yet the best offense they've faced probably Minnesota but in week one I don't know if that even counts there's also an argument to be made for Green Bay but when they played the Packers with some of the injuries the Packers have had on the offensive line they're really compensating for their their guys that are missing and so that was a pretty modified version of the Green Bay Packers offense. I think the Bengals got last week and Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, and uh, uh, A.J. Dillon. DJ, A.J. Dillon? They all certainly... A.J., AJ yep. Yeah, I don't know why I struggle with that one. They all certainly got theirs for the Packers. So um, that that's what makes this week exciting, as you talked about, James. And 
it, it reminds me of something Zach Taylor said in his press conference on Monday when he's like, yeah, I feel like every week you guys ask, is this a measuring stick game? Um, this one to me feels, and I guess to, to some extent, every game in the NFL is right. Like against Detroit, it was, if you don't blow this team out, the measuring stick that I put out into the world was if you don't blow this team out, well, you're probably not a good football team. You might be an okay football team, but you're probably not a good football team. Now, blowing them out doesn't prove that you're a good football team, but I think it if if you don't do what they did, then I'm less convinced, right? And so the Bengals, you know, they lived up to my lofty expectations. A bunch of people on Twitter got after me, got in my mentions, said famous last words when I tweeted the first tweet of my day yesterday, James, was, you guys ready for a nice, relaxing Bengals game? And uh, people weren't very happy with me. They thought I jinxed something, but uh, I, I clearly don't believe in jinxes. But all of that being said, every game is a measuring stick in its own way. And this one is a measuring stick on both sides of the ball. For Joe Burrow, how do you bounce back against Wink Martindale, who just confused the hell out of Justin Herbert and made him play maybe the worst game of his pro career so far and certainly was responsible for Joe Burrow's worst or one of the worst games he's played as an NFL quarterback so far Burrow this year while there are some interception concerns has been very consistent so he gets a chance to go against that what uh that Ravens defense again mm -hmm. and on the other hand for the Bengals defense have all these pieces they brought in to compete in their division as Zach Taylor said to stop Lamar Jackson to contain running games are they going to pay off so on the one hand, I get why Zach Taylor is sick of hearing, how is this a measuring stick game this week? But it's very clear to articulate what lessons we might learn as we look ahead to the Ravens. For sure. And that's that's the downside, if there is a downside to pummeling the Lions, is I think on Sunday night, people are already looking ahead to the Ravens. You know, fans had almost turned the page to a degree. And the Bengals, obviously, they have to do that every week. But I think the lingering effects of losing to Green Bay, people didn't change, you know, turn the page necessarily. And they were looking at all the different ways Zach could have changed things or, you know, a player could have made, made a field goal, right? Or whatever the, you know, the changes are things that could have happened for them to win the game. Um, but as far as takeaways on Sunday, and this kind of ties into, you know, if they're going to beat the Ravens, this offense goes as Jamar Chase goes, which is so weird. Like, it's really weird. Like, I, I – I, um, and it's not necessarily negative. It just seems like anytime they're, like, hitting their stride, it's because Chase has made a big play each and every week. And I don't know if that's sustainable against the Ravens. I guess we'll see. I don't know if that's sustainable against insert whatever playoff team the Bengals hope to compete with. Uh, and, and that's kind of one of my takeaways is, look, if – uh, or not if, the, the Bengals through six weeks, Jamar Chase to me has been PFF grades aside or whatever grades you want to look at or football outsiders this or that. He's been their offense. He's been the guy that's you know made game-changing plays. And so when I look at it that way, I still think the verdict is out on the play calling, on Zach Taylor, in, in this offense as a whole, especially when you have, like you said, Don Wink Martindale looming and uh, a defense that has certainly had Zach Taylor's offense's number. I mean, Zach has never beaten the Ravens, hasn't come close to beating the Ravens, and now he's got to deal with them on the road after they've uh, you know, completely pummeled Justin Herbert, like you said. Yeah, and, and Wink Martindale has a habit of doing that the first time he faces young quarterbacks in particular, and that was Justin Herbert's disadvantage. Joe Burrow, as Zach Taylor points out, has seen 
what Wink Martindale likes to do against him specifically. And so you hope that his maturation process as a quarterback, his continued learning as an NFL quarterback, the more exposure, the more reps he has, pays some dividends here. But you can leave it to this Baltimore defense to try to confuse you. It is worth noting, I know you said you don't care about football outsiders numbers, but I've got them for you anyway, James. Baltimore's defense ranks 22nd in Football Outsiders DVOA so far this season. And just for reference, the Bengals in weighted DVOA so far this season are seventh. Now, I, I don't think this actually includes the Lions game. I don't think this includes week six yet because week six is not updated yet. Yeah, this was updated five days ago. So this does not include the most recent week. So Baltimore is going to go up probably way up because of what they did to a very highly rated offense in the Chargers. Cincinnati should probably go up a little bit, but they went against one of the worst offenses in the NFL, the Detroit Lions offense ranking 25th in football outsiders metrics. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll see, right? We'll see how this team does. This is you know, the, the second biggest, the first busy, biggest test of the season, depending on how you see the Packers, I think the Packers are probably pretty good. I think the Ravens are certainly coming off a big win, uh, going to be a, a big test for this team on the road. So looking forward to that. We'll get more into that matchup starting on Wednesday night on Thursday with the crossover. Then we'll have a game preview show later in the week. Before that, we've got some roster battles that have kicked up midseason, and we'll get into those next. Today's episode of Locked On Bengals is brought to you by McDonald's. That's right, Chad Johnson's McDonald's, his favorite restaurant, the proudly serving community since 1965. And, of course, they've always been the tasty, affordable place to get awesome food where you can get awesome fries, you can get awesome cheeseburgers, maybe you need a salad. And the best part about it, you can meet up with it for a study group or knowing that they have dependable Wi-Fi, or maybe it's the morning where you need your cup of Joe. Well, McDonald's has got you covered. So check them out now, wherever your local McDonald's is, they're everywhere. I had McDonald's on my way back from Detroit. It was the perfect post-game meal to fuel me as not only did I record Locked on Bengals, but I wrote about 52 articles covering the game. So head to your local McDonald's to refuel and reconnect. And did someone say a locked on Bengals watch party? Make sure you uh, check them out. And as always, ba-da-ba-ba-ba, I'm loving it. Wow. They should, they should hire you to do their national, <laughs> national ads with that voice. I was ready. Angel. I almost put a little jig in it, man. I almost, you know, I almost threw a little, but that's for the beginning of the episode is when I dance. You haven't you haven't belted out notes on this show for quite a while. Let's not open yeah. that can of worms. I mean, that was that was good. You nailed it. Let's uh, let's talk about some of these little roster battles. Let's say, and we'll start with Chris Evans. I think James. We're also going to talk a little bit about Trey Hill, Jackson Carmen. What's going on at that right guard spot? Trey Hill, I think, is going to be remembered in this game by most fans for his start and not his finish, which may not be fair to Trey Hill. Uh, so we'll talk about that one. Uh, but let's start with Chris Evans. Everybody knows he had a fantastic game. He was a hot topic of conversation in Bengals press conferences on Monday. He spoke to the media himself, and maybe we'll start there. Uh, he shared a really cool story about how he has been to Ford Field before. Obviously, he played his football at the University of Michigan, 
but he wasn't there as a player the last time he was there, which made this trip a little bit more significant. So let's hear what he had to say in his press conference today. Definitely, definitely a lot of significance because as I was thinking about it coming to the stadium um, in 2019, when I got suspended from the, from the school, uh, my youth organization, we, um, we worked the security at the front at, a, at, a, at the, um, the Lions game or at Fort Field to like check people in and give people like stuff at the thing. And in 2019, when they played, when the Lions played the Giants, I was there at that game doing like doing security because I wasn't in school, I wasn't in football, nothing. So the last time I was at that stadium, I was helping with safe security and uh, had a polo on and stuff. And then I got to watch the game after after everybody got in. So just that moment for me, just going out there having that day that the next time that I'm at that stadium was felt good for me. When you were working security at that Lions Giants game. Were you thinking I'm going to get out there someday as a player or were you thinking, you know, it sucks. What, what am I doing here? What was going through your mind in that situation? I'm not going to lie. I had no idea because um, the situation uh, I had to, in order to get to the NFL, I had to play one more year of college and then go through the process. So I was kind of just, I was in the moment, just, just watching and just, just like, you know I'm saying that's my goal and, and I just got to keep pushing and, and just hopefully someday it'll happen. But I know that if I just keep my head down and work and keep grinding and just stay away from the outside noise, that uh, it'll all come true. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah, it is. I mean, coming coming from where he was suspended back to to score a touchdown, that's pretty cool. It's cool. And it's crazy because in 2019, it wasn't like he was out there like, oh, I should be in there playing. Right. Like, that's why I think Dan Horde asked that question. It was a good question. And it was like he had no idea what his future was going to be in 2019. That's not that long ago. Right. And he didn't play much at Michigan last year because Jim Harbaugh must not like winning because he there's no way he couldn't have used Chris Evans on the field. But that's subject for another time. And then Evans comes in here and man, he talks in that and I'm not mocking him. This monotone like I wonder if he's like that on the field where he's just like, yeah, you know, I just like, and he's insightful, right? He he talked about Joe Mixon on draft day, and it's not like he doesn't offer cool stories, but he just seems like he's so even keeled. And I, I think you would have to be to to go through the process and make it through the NFL or make it to the NFL like he has, and now have success as a rookie, a sixth round rookie. That honestly, on draft night, if someone would have said, ah, he might not make the team. I think at least 50% of people would have said, yeah, that's not that shocking with who they have in that running back room. Not only has he made the team, but as we get into the, you know, the position battles, Jake, do you think he should be RB2? Because I do. I think he's made a a compelling case to be at least 2A if Samaj Piran is 2B. Like at least split those snaps, right? Now there's a very clear preference, I think, that this team has shown to lean on Joe Mixon when Joe Mixon is healthy. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit, I think, uh, in, in the stats segment coming up in, in a few minutes here. Just the, the trends when Joe Mixon is healthy, the Bengals are running the ball way more, as you would expect. But that also tells you that they highly value Joe Mixon, as they should. He, he's having a fantastic year. In, in most ways, he's been very, very good. Um, now, that being said... Chris Evans, we talked about yesterday, his his block on the Jamar Chase deep post, like the 50-yard bomb, was an instrumental block in picking up a blitz, probably the best pass pro rep 
from a Bengals running back this year, uh, which isn't necessarily saying much, but it was really good. So don't don't let that take anything away from it. Uh, he he caught the touchdown. Zach Taylor praised his receiving skills, his route running skills, and obviously. Uh, an area to work on for him in the preseason was how well does he run the ball? And that was always a question. How does he beat out Travion Williams and, and Jacquez Patrick, who both ran the ball, you know, at times in the last couple of years, pretty well. And he had some issues with it in the preseason, but his talent elsewhere was so undeniable that he ends up making the team over those guys. And he's continued to improve. And, you know, he, he grinded out the film on those, uh, Giovanni Bernard pass blocking highlights, according to him, as assignment from Zach Taylor and is taking some strides there as well. So great story there. And in addition to great story, I agree with you, James. I think he has earned more reps. Yeah. And, you know, I, that's the thing is how do they, how do they balance it with Mixon? Because Mixon should get in there and, and be that guy that they're paying him to be. And, and he showed that too on Sunday. So that balance as the season goes on is, is going to be interesting for sure. Uh, other position battles that are interesting in, in special teams, isn't always, you know, a topic on this show. Cause it's, you know, it's not the sexy thing to talk about necessarily, but the punt returner job, I'm going to give you a take, Jake, I'll give you a take because we saw Trent Irwin yesterday for the first time and he fair caught a punt on the five. Darius Phillips runs backwards more than he runs forwards on punt returns this year. I don't know why. He used to be a good punt return. I don't know what happened to him, but he can't do it anymore. And so he got replaced in his hometown, which is uh, kind of cold, but it, it is what it is when you struggle like he has. I think Trent Taylor's the best punt returner on this team. I think if they need a reliable punt returner, he can do it. And uh, I don't think he's going to get the opportunity necessarily this week in Baltimore, but I wouldn't be shocked if he does soon if Irwin struggles because – Phillips, I don't really know where his value is, <laughs> especially if he's not the you know their fourth cornerback, anyways. So it's uh, it, it's an interesting. I think it's almost a trio battle, not a duo battle, even though most people are focused on Irwin and Phillips. Yeah, that, that's an interesting take. I, I really don't understand what's happened to Darius Phillips. He's regressed, I think, as a corner. He's not playing very well as a returner. I think they're all being coached to fair catch at the five yard line. I mean. <laughs> They're all doing it. This has been a problem for Bengals returners for a long time. Not catching the ball when it's in front of them and fair catching the ball at their own five. So I don't know about that. But but I can certainly see Chris Evans uh, getting some looks there as well. I know he was in camp, so might as well put that athleticism to the test. And mm. the last one to talk about is, uh, I think, Trey Hill, Jackson, Carmen. Carmen with his best PFF grade of his life uh 90 run blocking grade including one really impressive pancake block on a big joe mixon run it was violent before he vomited and left the game trey hill then came <laughs> back into the game and uh trey hill really awful start to the game holding penalty mm -hmm. into false start penalty single-handedly torpedoes a drive finishes the game with a 65 grade overall that's that's not bad i think it's actually better than trey hopkins grade for the game and he played a little bit of center to finish up on the last couple drives when Trey couldn't go on. Uh, good, good debut for him ultimately, despite the early struggles and just worth noting that, you know, the, the game did go on and he had some good reps later. I don't think this is a battle yet, but Trey Hill is currently the backup right guard because there's nobody else. And so that's why I bring it up. Yeah, it, it's not a battle yet, but he's 
clearly the number two center, obviously, and then the number two right guard, like you mentioned. And so we could see him sooner rather than later, barring, you know, something, you know, if something crazy does happen. And Carmen, I don't think it's completely locked in. I think they did want to get a look at Trey Hill and Carmen could have started on Sunday if he, if they needed him to. And it was like, eh, this is kind of a chance for us to look at Hill. And he got off to a slow start and Carmen played well. And I think Carmen will start this week in Baltimore. But if, if they have to go with Hill for any reason, I don't think they're going to press panic, which says a lot about him. Yeah, we'll have to talk about those matchups uh, in the coming days because the interior, Calais Campbell in particular, having a great year. But we have some stats to talk about. And James, I have a wild card topic for you coming up next. In life, we're all bound for different things. With beachbound.com, you're bound for vacations. You could be bound for adventure, bound for passion, bound for discovery, or bound for togetherness. Or maybe you could be bound for encountering the unexpected. Look, when I'm at a beach resort, I kick back, I throw my feet up, I have a a, a frou-frou drink that tastes just as good as it looks. And yeah, it's got some alcohol in it and cheers. And with beachbound.com, you can have the perfect beach vacation for you, no matter what you're looking for. So what are you bound for? Visit beachbound.com today. Maybe you're bound for a road trip. And if that's your style, make sure your car's in shape with our friends at rockauto.com. They've got you covered no matter what you drive. If it's James's Daewoo or James's other car, the reliable Toyota. Don't spend 30, 50, 100% more at a chain store or at the car dealership. Save money, save time with rockauto.com. You can do the shopping from the comfort of your own home. You can trust the family business that's been serving do it yourselfers like you for over 20 years. That's a ton of experience. A great, easy to use website from brake parts to new carpet. They've got anything that your vehicle might need. Go to rockauto.com, see all the parts available for your car or truck. And when you check out, write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. All right, James, you ready for a wild card topic that I didn't prepare you for at all? Yeah, let's go. What do you got? Whitney Merciless has been released or or is going to be released. He might be subject to waivers. He might be subject to some trade talk first. He is no waivers. He's a veteran. So no waivers. I don't okay, think. Okay, no 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 waivers. 31 years old and hasn't been great for a few years. Was last really good according to PFF grading in 2017, but has been okay. You know, an average edge player for the most part if you ignore 2020 when he wasn't so good, again, according to PFF grading. And, and again, in, in that year, Houston's defense, a bit of a disaster. So Whitney Merciless, does he does he intrigue you at all as a potential supplementary edge option for this team? And we've talked about the potential of, of Dark Horse acquiring a uh, an edge player at the trade deadline. Yes, sign me up. And I was talking to someone today, and like I said at the top, I think the Bengals are interested in edge. They know, despite the deal about Sam Hubbard, that you know he's not this dude that's going to be this edge, you know, monster and pass rusher. Um, and so you have Trey Hendrickson and you no know, Joseph Osai. You're not expecting that from Hubbard. 
Some are saying Darius Hodge. Clearly, they don't feel the same way, and I get why they don't. You can have to add somebody. And so, yeah, I, I think that that's – it's interesting, especially if he hits the market. Because if he hits the market, then the Bengals can negotiate with – you know, they can go that route. Uh, I don't think they would – I'd have to look at his contract. Obviously, you threw this at me. Um, I, I don't know if they would claim him necessarily or trade for him. Uh, or or they, like I said, there's no waiver, so they can't claim him. Uh, I don't know if they would necessarily trade for him. I'd have to look at his contract. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I, I also don't know what his contract is. I would I'll kick look. the tires. I'd certainly could kick the tires just to find out, right? Because he he may not be the player that he once was, but he could be some some quality depth. He could be a little bit better maybe than what they've got. And so in my opinion, you know, it, it could be worth a look. And, and maybe part of that look is just doing your due diligence and turning on the tape and seeing what he's got left in the tank. Um, what you got that contract or should I talk about the other wild card topic that he, I just stumbled upon? He has an out, uh, after this year, but no, there's, there's a couple dead money years and, and yeah. So I, I don't think any team is trading for him. I think he's going to have to get released because the, the dead money uh, stuff would be stuck with the Texans because it's, it? it's already okay. been paid. So it would be like whatever the remaining salary is, is probably what the acquiring team would be on the hook for. Probably. Gotcha. Oh, okay. Well then, I mean, so the base salary for this year's 4.5 million. Yeah. That's nothing. And, and, yeah, and exactly. So you're six games in. So yeah, maybe if that's it. Yeah. Cause it, cause there's a uh, 7 million in dead, dead cap if they released him at the end of the year. So, and, and, that's probably Again, like signing bonus stuff that, that would stay with the Texans. I, I don't know. I'm not looking at the contract, but that's often what it is. Um, yeah, something something to think about. If it is a trade, it wouldn't be for more than like a seventh round pick, probably. I, I, I don't think that he's going to command very much. He's been on a bit of a decline. But uh, the other one, James, real quick, um, PFF, it, there's some AFC trades out there. How about backup? It, it, real quick, it looks like he was like officially released. Has he has he actually been released? Like it's on the transaction That's, wire. Uh, Rappaport said he was released, so we'll see. But because have they have released veteran have pass rushers? Yeah, so it's not like they plan on releasing. Because I'm just like, I'm just thinking back to the the Stephon Gilmore report. No that was like yep. they've released, or I don't remember how exactly it was phrased. So okay, maybe he's just a free agent. The other one is backup center uh, Ted Karras. From the New England Patriots as a potential trade target. I, some people have asked. I don't know much about Ted Karras. He's buried on the depth chart behind David Andrews, who's uh, maybe a pro bowler, certainly very good. Um, but Ted Karras uh, could potentially be uh, a center trade target for a team that uh, isn't so sure about Trey Hopkins right now as he continues to battle the knee. Those are my two wild card topics. Real quick, James, let's get to some stats before we get out of here. Uh, because I looked at some stats today. The first is just a, a Jamar Chase deep leading the <laughs> league in everything uh, conversation. Penny he has, Sewell, uh, he's the best. <laughs> Sorry, the, go ahead. <laughs> you know what? Penny Sewell was actually the top graded Lions offensive player for everybody talking a bunch of sh- a bunch of smack about uh, Jamar Chase game. is the best offensive player on the field. I don't disagree. Jamar Chase is, is very good and was the correct <laughs> pick. I'm just saying, like, people are saying that Penny Sewell had a bad game. I think he gave up, like, one early pressure or two two early pressures maybe to Trey Hendrickson. Besides the case, Jamar Chase now leads the NFL in deep receiving yards by about 60. Henry Ruggs catching up a little bit in that category this week is PFF's highest-graded player 
on deep targets at 99.9, barely edging out Tyler Lockett's 99.8. As you might imagine, deep receiving coincides with really high grades. These tend to be explosive plays, but Jamar Chase leading the league not only in uh, deep yardage and I think deep touchdowns, but also deep receiving grade according to PFF. So just your your weekly Jamar Chase is really, really good at the deep ball update that that may become a, a staple on this show because he does it every week. I'd like to make an announcement. Since Jake threw me a couple curveballs, I'm going to throw him a curveball right now. Okay. If, and even if he says no, it's happening, Locked on Bengals listeners. If Jamar Chase roasts Marlon Humphrey this week in Baltimore and, and beats him and goes for a touchdown and goes for 100-plus yards, Jake and I are both doing the gritty on the post-game show. You heard it here first. They got to win the game, of course. We're not going to do the gritty if they lose. But if they win, Jamar goes for 100-plus against Marlon Humphrey and company. Jake Lisko, James Rapine, going to do the gritty on YouTube for uh, the post-game show. Just, just be ready for that. James cannot make any promises on my behalf. I just is the did. disclaimer. You yeah, tried. Uh, another, another stat to get the people here is third down passes that go for a first down. In the AFC, Patrick Mahomes, we talked about before we started recording, and the Chiefs are ridiculous on third downs, converting 60% of their third downs. That's insane. Um, the Bengals have had their issues on third downs, but Joe Burrow, when he does pass on third downs, has the second highest rate in the AFC behind only Patrick Mahomes at converting third downs, converting 49% of the passes he throws on third downs for first down conversions. That's ahead of Justin Herbert by a couple tenths of a percent, two and a half percent better than, uh, than, than Allen and Buffalo and, you know, much better than Lamar Jackson, who's at 40% Baker Mayfield at 36%. So Joe Burrow, very efficient in converting third downs. And uh, I thought that was worth pointing out. I thought that was some good Joe Burrow, good content. Yeah, and they're going to really need that against the Ravens, right? It's because this is – and we'll get dive into it this week. There's a lot. But this offense can't be like it was in the first half if they expect to leave Baltimore with a win. And that starts with uh, Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow, obviously. So uh, you need good Joe. And not really good Joe. You need great Joe because I think he was good on Sunday against the Lions. But you need great Joe against the Ravens, which includes third down. So that is encouraging. Burrow now, I believe, is PFF's sixth highest graded quarterback on the season. And in several other categories, I've got some high ranks for Joe Burrow. Smoking uh, in, Joe. In adjusted yards per attempt, which is a pretty good predictive stat for how good a quarterback is. Joe Burrow last year was like in the mid sixes. And this year, I think, is 8.9 adjusted yards per attempt. That's a huge improvement. At that, That's good for seventh in the NFL. There's also net adjusted yards per attempt, which includes sacks. Joe Burrow ranks lower in that category. I think taking some sacks that he shouldn't be just to throw some nuance out there. And there's a good example in the red zone last week that didn't end up really coming back to bite the Bengals in the butt. But you can't take that sack in that situation, I think. And I think he'll learn. And a couple PFF rankings here. Uh, fifth in big time throw percentage. That's really good. 6.6%. Of his throws are big time throws. That's really good. Unfortunately, he has the eighth highest turnover worthy pass percentage 
-hmm. Now, this is a very similar profile to Josh Allen in terms of putting the ball in danger sometimes, but also making a lot of big-time throws. And he's also sixth in adjusted completion percentage at 79.4%. So a lot of really good things there. And one takeaway, which is got to take care of the football a little bit better. Got to make some better decisions throwing the ball away to avoid some sacks. And you clean those things up. Joe Burrow on his way to a clear top 10 year in many statistical categories. Hopefully he does clean them up starting Sunday. Because again, those numbers are going to dip if he takes big sacks in the red zone and uh, has a couple turnovers. So uh, Chris Evans was able to bail him out in the red zone in Detroit after that sack. It's not really going to happen against this Ravens defense. So uh, that's the beauty of that blowout win, right? Is there's a lot of good, some stuff they can work on. And hopefully they can clean it up ahead of uh, Sunday's game against Baltimore. Monday always reveals the truth to these teams in their film review sessions. Last one before we like get out of here, James. Go ahead. That's not, that's a. Yeah, uh, that you're going to be doing on Sunday. Get ready. Joe Burrow completing 70% of his passes this year is on pace this year in a 16 game schedule, which obviously it is not. So if it was still a 16 game schedule on, on schedule for. 4,100 passing yards, 37 touchdowns, but those 19 interceptions. And that's yeah, why I say interceptions. that is something that we'll be watching that'll need to get cleaned up. But I have a lot of confidence in Joe Burrow. I think he's still playing really well despite the interceptions. And I think that'll go in the right direction. Tomorrow, we're joined by Bengals Sands, Mike Santagata for our film takeaways, the all 22, as we get our eyes on that tonight. Until then, Bengals fans, who day? And have a good one.